Hello, I'm Kirsten O'Brien. Welcome to 16 Summers, the podcast that really only wants the answer to one simple question. If you had to choose between the childhood that you had or the one you're giving to your children, which would you pick? Right, I feel at this point you should start playing like the Hobbies music in the background because... Right. We were poop. We used to get up half an hour before we went to bed. It was an improvement, like I said, that's what you want to be of his father. So I knew his, his shortcomings weren't his fault and he loved us. I do have lots of really fond memories, but they were never they were never around kind of lavish holidays or spending money. It was all about kind of making my own fun, I guess. You totally blindsided me. I haven't talked about that for 20 years. <laughs> if we want our children to improve their lives and the lives of people around them and make it a better world than we have to do our bit. This week I'm chatting to Kay Adams, best known for her cool, calm hosting of Loose Women. She can also be heard on BBC Radio Scotland weekday mornings. She grew up with her brother in Grangemouth in Scotland and now lives not too far away with a long-time partner and two daughters in Glasgow. But who had the better childhood? You're looking absolutely fabulous because the last time I saw you, I do believe, was Argentina. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) You know, and whenever I see your name or hear your name or whatever, I just think Argentina. I mean, so actually, I think my lasting impression is when we all came back. This is total wipeout, of course, isn't it? And we all came back from Argentina um, and landed at Heathrow or whatever. And I mean, what a motley crew we were. I think there was like three in wheelchairs. Yeah. However many on crutches. <laughs> I mean, it was it was vaguely comical, vaguely. It was the first celeb specials they'd done, wasn't it? So they'd flown 20 of us out. And I mean, like, yeah, I can't remember how many of us got injured, but Joe Swash had broken his collarbone. Me and Cleo Rockos. I mean, the name dropping's incredible. Eh, I know. Off- Kevin Adams. Uh, yeah. He it had was, a bad yeah. injury. Yeah. yeah. And the paparazzi were waiting when we got off that flight and it was, yeah, mortifying. <laughs> Cleo Rockos was just a joy. I mean, she was my best company all week. And I mean, in that wheelchair, I, I mean, I wasn't laughing because obviously she, she had injured her knee quite badly. But I thought, oh, my God, if Kenny Everett could see this now. <laughs> <laughs> no, ridiculous. But anyway, we're going to park all of that for now because I've got a serious question to ask you. And I know that you are a very good investigative journalist. So um, I'm hoping this one is going to floor you right back at you. Oh, no. The question is this. If you had to choose between your childhood or the childhood you're giving to your kids, which would you choose? We're now going to spend the next 45 minutes to an hour discussing this and I want a decision definitively off you at the end, okay? Oh, good, but we're working it through, are we? I like this. We're We're working working it through. through. Mm, Good, good, good. And we start with your childhood and you telling me where you grew up. Uh, well, I grew up in a little town in central Scotland called Grangemouth, which is, if it's known to anyone, it's known as an oil refinery. So it was a collection of houses attached to the major, major oil refinery in, in Scotland where all the crude came in um, and was processed. Um, so, and most people wouldn't think that's a particularly appealing place to grow up, understandably. Um, I loved it because at Christmas time, I thought we had the best fairy lights in the world because we'd come back from Edinburgh. We were about 25 minutes away from Edinburgh and all of the refinery with all of the sort of smokestacks and cooling towers and everything would all be illuminated and there would be steam coming up. Um, that shows you what a romantic child I was. Somehow I managed to translate that into it's Christmas it's lovely so a small town central Scotland um 
and uh, yeah, just a very free childhood, I have to say. Um, I was into ponies, like a lot of young girls, and uh, your bike was your ultimate freedom. I mean, cycling has now become almost semi-professionalised, hasn't it? You know, and 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 people really agonise over whether they let their child cycle, or there's all sorts of conversations to be had around cycling now. I mean, when I was a kid, you had a bike. And your bike was your freedom because it meant you could get to your pal's house, you could get to your auntie's house or wherever you had to go. Um, and that was it. So that's what you needed. Were they you know. status symbols back then? Because these days trainers are your status symbols, your phone's your status symbol. At one point, there was your bike was your status symbol. Was that in your childhood or not then? Well, I don't want to intimidate you, but I did have a purple chopper. Oh, um, yeah, top yeah, yeah, yeah. work. It, it was it was the premier mark um, of the town. Um, yeah, I said, well, I thought it was a status symbol, but nobody else did. <laughs> and maybe we predated status symbols, to be honest. As long as it had two wheels and a handlebar, you were kind of fine. Um, but God, I loved that bike. I, in fact, I loved it too much and for too long because, I don't know, got it when I was 12 or something, I suppose, but I was still riding. <laughs> in fact, I'm actually embarrassed to admit this. Mm, yeah, certainly, but I was still 17 and cycling that bike around town. <laughs> Did you customise it? Because I had a crack at spray painting my grifter and oh, it was one grifter. of those horrible moments in the garage where I found some red spray paint. I thought, well, how hard can it be? And I absolutely mullered because obviously it was all over the spokes and everything. And I, I basically wrecked yeah. my bike. My mum was so upset when I no, did I it. No, I was always well aware that my crafty skills weren't good. I mean, like every single doll or dolly as we had ended up with a crew cut. Um, so I knew I was never gifted in the craft sense. So I just didn't didn't mess with my purple chopper. But I do remember I had a job in a local pub when I was maybe 16 or 17, to be fair to me. Um, and at the end of the night, so, you know, chucking out time, Saturday night, small town, etc. And I said to this girl that I sort of made friends with, I said, do you want to lift home on the bike? And she said, yeah, yeah, that'd be really good. That'd be really good. Obviously, expecting me to come around in a Harley Davidson. And I said, well, just wait here. I'll come around the front. And it never even occurred to me what a klutz I was. I went round the back, picked up the purple chopper, zoomed round the front, big beaming smile on my face. Hi, here I am. And I'll never forget the look of utter disdain and pity and derision that she cast upon me, this girl. And she's like, yeah, no thanks. So off the I went. The irony being, the chopper seat, it was long enough for two. Big enough for two. It? Big enough for two, yeah. Somewhere to put your feet so you didn't get your feet cut in the spoke, caught in the spokes, which was never good. Um, yeah, she doesn't know what she was missing. She doesn't. And what were you like at school at that point? Because you're, you're fairly no-nonsense, which is what I like about you. When when did that sort of come out? Well, it's quite funny, that, actually, because it always catches me anywhere. Because I, I know that that probably is my uh, reputation now as an adult. Um, but I wasn't really like that as a kid. I was the joker as a, as a kid. Um, you know, my favourite favourite joke was to sort of blacken out my teeth with a piece of black paper and just sort of sit grinning up at the back of the class and every time you know my mates turned around I would give them a big gappy smile and they'd all piss themselves and the teacher would get furious so um oh oh what a comic caper um so that was more my personality then I was a hard worker I have to say 
I was a SWAT slash joker. Um, but the kind of reputation, if you like, that I seem to have developed like professionally and as an older person always kind of catches me unawares because that's not really the way that I saw myself or that my childhood friends would see me. And I don't know, I wonder to do a bit of analysis whether it is the Scottish thing that a lot of English people do see Scots as quite kind of dour and no-nonsense. Um, whereas we don't really see ourselves like that. We've just got generally quite a dry sense of humour and we don't do a lot of smiling or hugging or kissing or any of that demonstrative stuff. Um, but, you know, inside we are light-hearted, playful, charming little people. <laughs> and what describe your house for me what were you in a semi-detached house how many of you were in there what was going on um well I had two houses in my childhood um not very far away from each other at all the first one was semi-detached and then uh, we went up in the world and we went detached um and I moved in there when I was 10 I'm sounding as if I moved in without the rest of the family. Um, we all moved in together. So me, my mum, my dad, my brother, who's three years older than me. And uh, so we moved to that house when I was 10. Um, sadly, that got sold three years ago when my mum passed away. So, uh, But that was our house for oh, 38 years of my life um, until mum died. So that that was always home. Wherever I have ever been, that was that was home. And it was nice. It was a detached bungalow. Nothing, uh, nothing particularly special, but a really nice, comfortable house with a front garden, a back garden, and a detached bungalow in a small town. So pretty classic stuff. We played snooker together. We played table tennis together. Um, we did lots of games. And then when we were younger. For some bizarre reason, we took to having boxing matches in the living room. And, God, when you look back on it, we would arrange the chairs so we each had a chair in each corner. Um, we would each have a bottle of iron brew in each corner. How stereotypical is this? Um, and then one of us would go ding-ding. We'd go to the middle. We'd knock lumps out each other. And then when it was getting a bit much, another, you know, the other one would go ding-ding! We'd go back to our corners, we'd have a swig of iron brew, a wee seat on the chair, and we'd be back at it again. We loved doing that. I was the younger sister, and regardless of what really happened, you know, if, if Eric got the better of me, I would go, Mom! Mom! He's beating me up, Mom! And she, she would come storming through, and he, for goodness sake, what are you doing to your sister? I used to get that of we weren't allowed to hurt each other in, in your bits, which we just oh, came yeah. to be right. Oh, like, avoid those bits and everything else then is fair game with my brother. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we had a... No, as I say, we're Scottish. We didn't discuss bits on any level. <laughs> and who were your mates at school? Were you, like, oh. in with a lot of people or were you quite a solitary child? No, I wasn't solitary. I mean, I, I had lots of pals and, and loved my pals. Um, we had such a lot of freedom. And, it, I mean, if we come back to the big question of my childhood and my children's childhood, um, I would say that that is the major difference. You know, we had a huge amount of freedom just to go about and, I mean, I know it's a bit cliched and you'll get a lot of people my generation saying we went out in the morning with a cheese sandwich and they never saw us again until night time. 
but that was kind of the scoop and and you went with a bunch of pals um which is obviously not really the way it is for kids um these days but um yeah we used to play football in the street because there wasn't as much traffic so like a whole load of kids that came out in the street we would just and we would play um but my big sort of pal was uh, Judith who's still a friend uh today she was my big buddy um but there was six or eight or ten of us who all just mucked about you know the whole time funny though one that um two twins obviously two twins twins Sheila and Morag I can't believe how Scottish I'm getting here I know so Sheila Scottish and names. Morag <laughs> Um, I really liked Sheila and Morag, and they moved away probably when I was about 10. So they were probably my primary school kid, uh, you know, friend. Um, and they were both really distinctive looking girls with curly, curly blonde hair, you know, sort of crystal tips and Alistair sort of hair. And they moved away when I was 10, and I really missed them because we used to build dens together in the garden and all that kind of stuff. And then it must be about three years ago. Um, on my radio show, one of the producers said, oh, we've got this person coming in. Her name is Morag. She says she knows you from way back. I'm thinking, Morag, Morag, Morag. You know, couldn't think who it was. Anyway, she walked in. <gasps> my God. I mean, I hadn't seen her for 40 years. And she was, I, w- I would have recognised her anywhere. It was the strangest. I mean, obviously, she looked so much older. I last saw her as a 10-year-old. Um, but it was such a weird feeling because I immediately got taken back to, you know, the time we spent in the park, the time we spent in my garden, the time we spent on top of my, the garage. We had a flat roof garage and we used to go up there and sing Donny Osmond songs. Right, so that would be the stage. The other two were down the bottom applauding adoringly while you got your sh- your chance to go up on top of the flat roof and sing Puppy Love. Um, <laughs> that was... Uh... Um, and then when that relationship's kind of interrupted and you don't meet each other until 40 years later and she was some kind of bloody astrophysicist or something, you know, very serious. Um, and it's a really odd, odd experience. But um, And are you now in touch with her or has she gone off again for another 40 years or something? Yeah, no, she's gone. I don't think we were able to catch up that amount of time, but it was really lovely to see her. It, it really was, yeah. So, I, I mean, I had a very happy childhood, I have to say. You mentioned iron brew there and quite often the food that we had in our childhood is so evocative. Um, tell me some other, I'm intrigued now in your Scottish vein, what do you, what were your memories of your meals you had, your, what your mum cooked, your school dinners, that sort of thing? Well, my mum, God rest her, um, it was a rubbish cook and, and she would be happy to say that she was a rubbish cook and, and I have plain family tradition. Um and But the reason she was a rubbish cook was that she was a bit of a trailblazer, my mum. She and my dad ran their own haulage business. Um, and so she worked really, really hard in, in a very male-dominated world. And they were both just incredibly hardworking people. And the good side of that was that we got a lot of freedom um, as a result, but by necessity, to be honest. Um, so we always had school lunches. Um, now, actually, we would call them school dinners, and then you had your tea at night. So your main meal was at lunchtime, which we called our dinner. So, you know, school classically, mince and potatoes, stew and potatoes, um, fish and chips, the usual kind of stuff. Um, and then my brother and I would get home at four and then we'd have at least two and a half hours to muck about on our own 
before either my mum or dad uh, turned up. So that was great because to pacify us, they we got every comic that had ever been published by DC Thompson um, to keep us, you know, occupied. We had the Beano, the Topper, the Bunty, the Victor, um, anything you want to name, we had it. Um, and <laughs> I have this memory, which I've obviously made up and exaggerated a little bit, but um, in the run up to Christmas and up until after Easter, we would get those chocolate Santas, you know, the foil covered chocolate Santas. And it was good after Christmas because you got them cheap for quite a few months. And then we'd move on to a bunny that was the same chocolate, different shape, same foil. And that would take us through to October and we'd get one of those every day each. Our teeth were absolutely rotten um, because we ate so much chocolate. And we'd read our comics. And then tea time would be anything on toast. Beans on toast. Chunky chicken on toast, spaghetti hoops on toast. I never had dried pasta or real pasta till I went to university when I was 18. I thought pasta came in a tin. I mean, that's not like a, a luxury. It's like when I came to London and I'd never had mozzarella, but that that's quite out there in a way. But pasta, yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> you are younger basic. than I am, clearly. So beans on toast, macaroni, cheese on toast, um, Heinz spaghetti hoops on toast. Sometimes we just go for the Heinz spaghetti on toast. We wouldn't have the hoops. That was a bit of a change. <laughs> what was the chicken chunks or something that you mentioned? What did you say? Chicken chunks yeah, on chicken toast. Chicken supreme, it was called. Um, so you kind of heated it up, and it was bits of stuff resembling chicken in a creamy sauce on toast. <laughs> that is the vital ingredient <laughs> to all of our meals. Was on toast. Oh, my word. I'm going to get onto your cooking a little bit later. Um, <laughs> what what would you say your earliest memory is? I do have an early memory, actually, in our first house. So I probably about two or three. And my mum had a set of little ornaments, not expensive ornaments. I mean, they never pretended to be like three little penguins and a little Spanish dancer or something. And I used to just love throwing them out of my bedroom window. Um, and over the years, they became very chipped because they said, where's the penguins? Oh, she's chucked them out the window again. My dad'd go and get them and they'd come back and I'd chuck them out the window again. And I have a real memory of chucking penguins out my bedroom window. Um, so I'd be two or three at that point. Wow. Um, what, what was your relationship like with your dad? You've mentioned your mum talked about your mum a lot. What was it like with your dad? Oh, great. I, I got so blessed with my parents, just so blessed. Um, my dad was a wonderful man. Uh, you know, very handsome guy, very sociable. Um, they, they were a great pair, actually, because um, my mum was definitely ahead of her time. And other people could see her as being like really no nonsense. They wouldn't mess with her. And because they were a double act, because they worked together, my dad was the one that everybody loved. Everybody loved Duncan. Oh, Duncan, he's such a great guy. <gasps> but watch her. But watch, watch Kathy. You know, it was always that kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, he was great fun. Really, really great fun. And mum was good fun too, but he was the more out there of the duo, I suppose. Um, but I had an equally good relationship with both, actually, which... As I say, as I get older and older in life, I think has been my greatest gift, you know, um, when you look around and, and see, you know, what other kind of family environments that, that other people have grown up in. And what did people living in Grangemouth back then do for holidays? Well, we were um, a bit 
well, well certainly weren't bloody posh, but you know, um, my mom and dad worked hard. They had their own business. Um, my mom was a bit heightened bouquet, I suppose. Um, so we went abroad most of the time. We went to our first foreign holiday. I'd be about three. Was in Catolica in Italy. I remember because they bought me a doll that was the same height as me, and I remember trying to get it home in the plane. Um, and then for years after, we went to Mallorca because my brother um, was born with very, very chronic asthma and eczema, very, very um, severe. And it was the weirdest thing. We would go to Mallorca. There must be something about the climate, the sea, the humidity. I don't know, some kind of miraculous combination. And Eric would be well for two weeks. Tell me he lives there now. Has he moved? No, no. Well, I mean, he's kind of, (laughs) thank goodness, he's he's much, much better now. And he's grown out of some of those sort of child, I think a lot of it was childhood related. um, And he manages it really well. So it's it's not the issue it was as a child, but it really was an issue as a child. Um, And we would go away for these two weeks every year. And he was a different person. Um, and he used to get, because he had all these sort of steroid creams for his skin, he got the best suntan in the history of the world. Um, and everyone thought he was Spanish. Um, so, yeah, I've got happy memories of that. So that's that's starting going away in the mid-60s, is it then? that That's fairly unusual to go away as a family then, is it? Yeah, maybe, maybe early. Well, no, no, I suppose we go to Italy in the 60s. Um, yeah, Mallorca, probably late 60s through the 70s. Yeah, we went 12 years straight. And were yeah. your friends doing that sort of thing or were you quite unusual as a family then? You know, we're off abroad and everyone else was camping locally. Yeah, yeah, going down to Garvin and sort of west coast of Scotland. Um, yeah, I, I mean, not, not totally unique, but yeah, I suppose a little bit unusual. A, a little bit unusual, yeah, yeah. We also went to Blackpool every single September weekend. That's a big thing for Scottish people. Blackpool to see the illuminations, um, always every September. That was good. And that's a big thing for Scottish people. I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, huge, huge. I mean, you know, they just, in their droves, it's more of a Glasgow thing. I mean, we're not Glasgow people, but I mean, uh, for Glasgow people, Blackpool at the September weekend is a date in your diary. That's extraordinary. I went once as a kid because I grew up abroad for a lot of the time. And my mum was always saying we should have a British holiday. And my dad succumbed once and we drove from Middlesbrough to Blackpool, so not that far. But my brother was ill when we set off. He vomited all the way in the car there. We got there. Mum took him to Boots to try and get something. We went up the tower to the ballroom. He vomited in the ballroom. My dad said, that's it. Get back in the car. We drove home again. And that was my experience of Blackpool. I don't think we even saw the illuminations. I don't think it even went dark. (laughs) And we were home again. That's it. Well, I have to say there's a lot of Scottish people go to Blackpool to be sick in the Blackpool town and go home, but probably for very different reasons. <laughs> yes, very. What would you say, if you look back now, is is the absolute best bit of your childhood? The Generally, the freedom. I mean, because my mum and, and dad were unusual in that they were running their own business in a small town and... Um, they were genuinely really, really busy. And that's not that we were ignored in any way. We always felt... Um, very kind of loved and looked after, but they didn't sweat the small stuff um, because they had like lorries breaking down and you know lorry drivers going ape shit and all sorts of dramas going on in their life. They didn't really care if we went out with a ripped shirt or you know I don't know if we knocked over an ornament or 
I sometimes looked at some of my friends and their parents would seem to get really, really worked up about relatively trivial things. Um, and my mum and dad never really had time for that. They didn't micromanage us, I suppose, in today's language. Um, you know, because they they just had to sort of keep all their plates spinning. I mean, like, for instance, like they had a, lor a yard to keep all the, the lorries. And my brother loved driving. My dad loved driving. So my mum had a little Fiat um, 500 at one point. And my brother and I, and Eric would be 10 and I would be 7. So he would drive around the yard and I would be in the footwell of the Fiat because his feet didn't reach the pedals. I know the sounds made up, but it was true. Um, and he would drive and he'd just shout to me, one, two, three, you know, for the accelerator, the brake and the clutch. And we would go around the, the yard and that would keep us occupied for a couple of hours. Um you know, they'd stick their head out the porter cabin and say, you're all right. Yeah, we're all right. Thank you. One, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say the worst part of your childhood was then? Or is, is there a, a bad bit that you remember? No. No, there isn't a bad bit. Isn't that funny? Um, no, there would have been. You know, of course there would have been. But nothing... Nothing that I could really put into bad category. Do you know what I mean? I think it has to be fairly serious and sustained. Um, didn't like going to Sunday school much. Um, but like I say, my mum never stuck it. There was nothing bad. But I did, having said that this is all very idyllic, I was a bit naughty with my mum because our life was so different. I had so many friends that would have you know, tea on the table at six o'clock and they would all say grace and the mum had made scones and she'd made cakes and it was all very sort of traditional. And we never had that. We've already gone through my exotic diet. Um, and so I would sometimes say to my mum, in fact, I would say to her an awful lot that I was a latchkey kid. I would really pile on the emotional blackmail. Um, but I never believed it, but I could always wind her up, which was good because we'd probably get another chocolate Santa out of that one. And did you have other family around? Or were, are all your family from that area? Um, yeah, yeah, no, we spent, I mean, I had an aunt who lived just around the corner, another one a little bit further away. So in the summer, I would get kind of dumped with them when my mum was working. Um, my granny lived about 10 miles away. We'd go and see my granny every Sunday and, and have, you know, Sunday dinner with my granny. Um, yeah, it's a pretty close. My dad was one of 10 and mum was one of four. So, you know, lots of aunties and uncles, yeah. And do you think seeing your mum working all the time like that just instilled you with that work ethic of that's the way it is? Because you've, I think, I might be wrong, you might tell me otherwise, worked consistently. You've had a brilliantly long career, haven't you? It's long, don't know how brilliantly, but um, yes, I have, you know, and, and it's been without a break. I mean, I had my kids a bit later, um, had Charlie as my elder daughter when I was 38 and then Bonnie sort of four, four years after that. Um, uh, yeah, my mum has obviously been a huge influence and it's only as you get a bit older and you start to reflect and think and sort of recognise that because when you're in the midst of stuff, you're just getting on with it. You're not really thinking, right, what are my influences here? Um, but, I mean, now that my mum isn't here anymore, I do think about it um, more. And 
particularly doing a show like Loose Women, it's quite interesting. We talk about mum guilt quite a lot, you know, and, and the whole thing about working and should you be working, how much should you be working and kids and stuff. And I think I have escaped quite a lot of that mum guilt because of my own experience as a child, because my mum was always working um, and I loved it. And I had a really good childhood and I didn't feel that I missed out in any way at all. If anything, I liked the fact that my mum was um, a bit different from the other mums. So because of that, I've never really, I mean, don't get me wrong, there have been times that you go out to do a job and, you know, one child's got the cold and the other one's clinging on your leg and like, my God, what am I doing? I mean, of course you do that, but not a real profound sense of, of guilt, you know, that, that, that really eats away at me. You'd have momentary sort of think, oh God, should I be doing this? But overall, I've always felt very relaxed about being out and working and having children. And, and I think that obviously comes from my mum. And when did you know what you wanted to do with your life? Um, well, I, I wanted to be a lawyer. I was very set that I wanted to be a lawyer. I went to Edinburgh University. Um, I didn't get into do law first off, so they said do economics and politics. And then I took a law course in the first year and they said, well, you know, if you do all right, then you could switch to do law. I wanted to do, um, but oh my God, a year of constitutional law completely finished me off. I thought, oh Jesus, no, that was a lucky escape. So I didn't do that. Um, and then I got involved with the student newspaper and really pretty immediately thought, right, this is it. This is what I want to do. Um, I don't think I'd particularly thought about it. I mean, my background, I, you didn't particularly think about being on the telly or um, journalism. You, you know, I mean, if you did well at school, and I did okay at school, obviously, to get to uni, um, you would think about doing a profession, you know, so to be a lawyer. I was never going to be a doctor, but you were going to be an accountant, you know, something like that. Um, but almost immediately, once I started to get involved with the student newspaper, I thought, right, this is for me. And that was a bit of a light bulb. We're going to move on to your kids now because you have just mentioned them and, and you as a mum. So you've got Charlie and you've got Bonnie, Charlie, your yeah. eldest. And they are, I'm now trying to work out if you said 38, 1326? No, God, no, no, no. You, you've missed a decade there. Um, oh, no, no. Well, so they're 14 on. and 18. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. What's wrong with me? My maths was appalling. Oh, I see what... Oh, sorry, I've written down. God, what a fool. Uh, right, so you've got what? Say again. So we've got Charlie, who's um, 18, nearly 19. Uh, both girls, although they're Charlie. Charlie girl. And Bonnie, who is 14 and a half. And what type of mum are you then, would you say? Oh, well, there you go. The level of self-awareness that requires, I think, is probably beyond me. Um I suspect I'm very like my own mum. And I think that's probably inevitable. If you feel that you've had quite a good experience, then you think, okay, that worked quite well. I'll just do it the same. Um, I I, I mean, I've got, well, I hope I've got a good relationship with my kids. I hope I do. I I love being, I love being their mum. I I really do love being their mum. I'm probably not a traditional mum because I have worked all the way through and because I am a rubbish cook. Um, and I'm not, I'm not a domestic person and my mum wasn't a domestic person. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't live in a shit heap or anything. I I like things to be tidy, but 
you know, I don't get when people get excited about, you know, cleaning out and sorting their cupboards and arranging their, you know, organizing things and and doing all these housey, domestic-y, crafty things, uh, my eyes glaze over. It just doesn't do it for me at all. So I think the kids have had to get used to, to that. They don't have those very distinct gender roles that I think sometimes you'll get in other households. Um, but I think I'm pretty free and easy. I, I don't, I mean, kind of like my mum, I don't really have the energy to get worked up about stupid things. You know, if they break a glass by an accident, it probably came from Ikea and cost 40 pence. So I'm not going to get excited about it, you know. So you've got to put us all out of our misery now. And do you cook? And what do you cook? Or does your partner cook? <laughs> well, he doesn't cook. He's worse than me. He's awful. Oh, my word. These poor girls. I, well, funnily enough, Charlie, my eldest, uh, this was her first year at university. Poor devil. Um, so she was home for quite a long period and she took over the cooking and she is a good cook. So that was fabulous. So Ian and I every night would come in, well, come in, we never left the house, but, you know, it would be like, what's for tea tonight, Charlie? Um, uh, so that was great. I loved that. But no, I do. I mean, I'm not I'm not that bad. I'm a better cook than my mum and I hope she's not listening in that I suppose because they eventually, you know, growing up, we went to some really nice restaurants and they took us to some really nice places. Um, and so I learned to like good food. I do like good food. I don't eat beans on toast that much now. Um, and so when you like good food, you've got to try and cook it a little bit. And so I do try. Uh, my dear friend Nadia Sawala has done her very best to try and impart some of her knowledge to me without much success. Um, so... I'm just not a talented cook. I think to be a talented cook, you've got to love cooking. And I don't love cooking. I mean, I'm probably capable enough to follow a recipe and get it within 20% of what it's supposed to be. So, and I, I do I do try. I mean, I don't eat pretty healthily in our house. We eat fresh stuff. We don't eat a lot of takeaways um, because I want to eat well. But I just don't have that love of cooking. I just don't. I can do it, but I don't love doing it. And I'm not that good at it. And you haven't left Scotland. Is that right? You, yeah, I mean, I did. Scotland. When I left university, I lived in Birmingham for four years and spent a bit of time in London. Uh, but after that, I went back to Glasgow, which I had never lived in, actually. Um, so I went back to Glasgow in my late 20s, I think, roughly. And then I've been there ever since. Yeah. So how similar is the childhood of Charlie and Bonnie to to yours in terms of where they're living, the environment, the proximity to relatives, those type of things? Um, yeah, well, it, it's different from that point of view because obviously with me being an older mum, my brother had children really early, actually. So my niece and nephew are in their 30s. So my kids didn't really have cousins of a similar age growing up, which I did have. And I think that is a bit of a shame for them. They they do have cousins, but they're quite a bit older. Um, but, you know, Ian's got two sisters and I've got my, my, my brother and his wife. So um, they do see them, not as much as I saw mine. But, yeah, we are we are quite close. In some ways, I envy them because Glasgow is an amazing city to grow up in because it's a really vibrant city, there's lots going on, it's quite an exciting city, but it's still 
a manageable size of city. So they get quite a bit of freedom in quite a cool place. Whereas Grangemouth, God love it, cool is not a word that you would associate with it. Um, so I think their place of growing up is probably better. Um, and I suppose it's we are less kind of rooted into to, to the family than I was. But it's just different times. Everything's changed, hasn't it? Everything's changed so much. I'm interested that then in you being quite relaxed, not sweating the, the small stuff, taking after your mum in that way. How do you have any worries about the girls in a city? Because I moved out of London when I had kids because I was like, I don't really want to be having a London child. We wanted, you know, space around us. And But do you have any concerns? Do you have any fears when they leave the house or are you just quite chilled about them? Um, well, I mean, obviously, I spend a lot of time in London, so I know it pretty well. And Glasgow's a completely different proposition. You know, I think I might feel quite similarly if I was in London. Um, whereas, you know, Glasgow is, is just not like that. We live in an area of Glasgow called the West End of Glasgow that feels pretty safe. I mean, obviously, you have to be streetwise. It is a city. And I, I get more worried about them now that are a little bit older. I mean, Charlie, you know, sort of teenage years out and about doing what teenagers do. Yeah, that that does worry me. I do get a little bit anxious about that, you know, just for safety. Bonnie, Bonnie's not quite out and about yet. She's a bit later than Charlie than that. But those years, well, I say with girls, I've only got my girls, obviously. But, you know, so from 14 to 18, when they're beginning to sort of spread their wings a little bit. Yeah, I do do find that quite, um, I get quite anxious about that. But I think I might, whether they were in a city or not. And how do they find, because you'll have been on telly the whole time from as long as they've known, how are they with that? Totally and utterly disinterested. Um, Absolutely disinterested, which I, well, I mean, which I really love, and that makes them sound like complete brats, and I don't mean that, but it's it's just it's just what I do, and they they are more interested in their own lives, not in a selfish way, but I think that that's the way it should be for kids, you know. I, I get a little bit uncomfortable, you know, with say people who think because they're on their te- on the telly that their kids should be impressed by that, and there's some kind of you know vague reflected celebrity or or anything. Um, it's just my job. It's what I do. I mean, I'm not. I very much see myself as a journalist or broadcaster. You know, I'm not a telly celebrity. I'm just doing my thing. Um, and I don't really want them to to get excited about a bit uncomfortable. I mean, their dad's a tennis coach and they're probably much more interested in that. I was going to say, are they showing any signs of wanting to do anything that you do? Um, Charlie won't. Definitely not. She'll plough her own furrow, I think. Bonnie might actually just because she's genuinely interested in 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 news stories and she'll discuss things with me that she's seen on the television or she's read on social media or whatever and um I don't think in any way she's formulated that into wanting to be a journalist but I have just kind of noticed that she's quite intrigued by stuff that's going on and she wants to know about it so I wouldn't be surprised and she has a couple of times said that she might be interested in journalism I think she's too young, but, you know, um, but Charlie, I I don't know what Charlie will do, but I I don't see her doing the same thing. Um, And as I say, my partner, Ian, he's a tennis coach. 
and he's worked very hard not to sort of make them feel obliged to play tennis. Um, and that has worked because neither of them can be arsed playing tennis. So <laughs> <laughs> that's been very successful. <laughs> who's good cop and who's bad cop, do you reckon? Oh, oh no, we do alternate on that. And the two of them, my kids, um, are quite open about, you know, the roles that they cast us in. There's no great secrets. Um, so dad goes off like a firecracker and then very quickly comes down to earth and they get exactly what they want. Um, I am immediately more kind of laissez-faire, but when I get pissed off, I get really pissed off and there's no moving me. So depending on what it is, what the situation is and what they want, they'll kind of dance between these two strategies. If they want to kind of suss it out, they'll suss it out with me and just see where the land lies. Um, but if it's something that they want and they think I'm going to say no to, uh, they'll go to their dad. What would you say your lowest parenting moment has been then? Oh, my God. I don't know if we've reached air temperature at all. Um, well, I, I always feel that I'm sort of just flying by the seat of my pants. You know, um, I don't know if I've done anything really terrible, but I never feel fully in control. You know, I mean, I think some kids must grow up feeling very secure because they've got a very predictable and solid, you know, kind of uh, family atmosphere or background whereas I think maybe ours feel they're skating on ice a little bit because Ian and I are both a bit flaky around the edges so maybe that's not so good I don't know but if that's all they've um, known that they haven't known anything else have they well yeah hopefully nobody will tell them and they won't listen to this um I d I'm trying to think of, I mean I must have done lots of disastrous terrible things um, what do you, do you want me to reveal that I've injured them in some way or something? Oh, if you have, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did drop poor Charlie in, in a bucket once when I was changing her nappy at the beginning. You know, you turn round, you've got your hand on their tummy and you turn round to reach for a nappy and she wriggled. And then there was a nappy bucket at the end of the changing table and she wriggled right off and she fell head first into the nappies. <laughs> that wasn't good. Um and yeah, I mean, stuff, stuff like that. I mean, again, when she was a baby, it's always the first child that you try these things out on, isn't it? Um, I was in a shop getting kind of bored and I was tossing her up in the air and sort of catching her and she was giggling and giggling. And I was walking backwards. Um, and what I didn't realise was that the ceiling height had changed. Oh, no. Uh, oh, no. Yeah, yeah. And she thumped her head <gasps> off. The... She was fine. She was fine. <laughs> <laughs> but it caused a bit of furore in the shop. I love that I asked for lowest parenting moment and for ages you couldn't think of anything and then suddenly you come up with two absolute stonkers. <laughs> I was talking about this with Jasmine Harmon a couple of weeks ago of when you absolutely love your career um, and then children come along. And this for me, it was the case that I didn't know whether I would go, oh, now this is what my life's work's supposed to be. Or whether I'd be like, oh, right, I love you, but I really like what I do. And I'm presuming you're of, of the second type, which I was as well, of, yeah, I love you, but I'm not going to, you're going to have to fit in with my life now because I love what I do and this ain't a changing. 
Yeah, I mean, I think so. But again, because that was the the way that I had been raised, um, that was my normal. So I really didn't have a huge, um, I didn't wrestle with myself over that particularly much. There was never really any question of it. I mean, what would have been more surprising to me if, you know, after Charlie had been born, I thought, oh, actually, I'm I'm made for full-time motherhood and I don't want to go back. And that would have come as a shock to me. Um, And I suppose that could have happened. Um, it, it didn't, but it could have happened, and that would have almost have been more difficult to deal with. And probably my own mum would have found that more difficult to deal with, um, because you know she had two older grandchildren, my brother's children, and so she was happy as Larry. And I think my mum quite liked me being the career girl. She quite liked me being on the telly and stuff. So she wasn't like at me to have kids at all. If I remember when I said to her, you know, and I would be about 36 at this time, actually Ian and I are thinking about maybe whether we would like children because everyone just kind of assumed that we didn't. Um, And I was expecting her to sort of break down in tears and embrace me and she went, "Uh uh-huh, mm-hmm. I thought, oh God, I said, I'm so surprised that you're saying this. I mean, what would your life be like without me and Eric? And she said, it would have been fine. (laughs) <laughs> which sounds terrible but I mean god my mum there's nothing she wouldn't have done for us she was incredible with us but it was actually really good because what she said was yeah it's wonderful to have children but you can still have a great life without children and actually it was a good thing for her to say because me deciding at 36 right, I'm going to have kids it might not have happened um, I mean, you just assume it is going to, but lots of people at that age are disappointed um, because it doesn't happen. And so in retrospect, it was really good mum said that at that point, because let's say I'd gone into two or three years of, you know, trying and not being able to get pregnant and failed IVF, etc. And all of that pressure had been weighed on us. Um, that could have been really difficult. And she's right. Of course, she can have a great life without children. Um I, I told it's not even oh I respect that decision. I mean that, that's just a given. Of course you can. But when you make your choices, you've got to make the best of your choices. You know, and having ch- chosen to be a mum, I I love being a mum. I was having a whale of a time. You know, uh, Ian, uh, my partner, we've been together since. God, he was well about thirty. So we were together for a long time before we had children or even thought about having children. He's a very independent person. I'm a very independent person. We've never been a couple who sort of checked up on each other or sort of had to ask permission from the other one to go on holiday with friends or any of that kind of jazz. So, um, you know, we were happy together and we were happy apart and we were having a good old time, you know. Makes us sound like a pair of swingers. <laughs> we weren't a pair of swingers. <laughs> I wish. Um, so, yeah, to throw a child into that, I mean, I wasn't naive to the fact that this was going to be a grenade in my life. And okay, it turned out to be a very happy grenade, but it was still a huge, a huge deal. Um, but ultimately, funny enough, I don't think I had much control over it because I genuinely 
can remember where I was, when it was that I thought, no, actually, I do want children. And it was like a bolt from the blue. And I don't usually believe in bolts from the blue, but it was. And when that happened, it just sort of became right. Okay, this uh, this is this is what I want, and I didn't deliberate that much further from that's that. That's quite interesting, isn't it? Because given the age you were, that's almost like a body clock now or never type. It was brain. The, shocker, the alarm went it? off. The alarm definitely went off. And life for those girls now—they've got the mum on telly, they've got the working dad. Um, is it lovely? You know, what do they do for holidays? Um, we as a family really love our holidays together. We, we always have. I think because we do kind of rush around a lot, you know, and I mean, I've, I'm away from home. Ian's been away. He sort of runs tennis holidays in, in Italy. Well, he did until 2020 came along. Um, so they've always used to, the dad being away for a few weeks at a time, me sort of jumping up and down. And so... Holidays have always been a really great time for us and we've always liked going on nice holidays. The kids like travelling, we like travelling. We get on really well as a family together. And, you know, in normal life, we don't sit down and eat dinner at the same time. We don't have a very great family routine. But on holiday, we, we do. And we like spending time with each other and eating dinner with each other and just not having all of these other things um, derailing us. So, yeah, and, and of course, Charlie now coming up 19, I've obviously got to face up to the fact that she's not going to want to come on holiday with us, certainly not all of the time. And, of course, I respect that, but there's a bit of me that is really sad um, because I, I love I love the four of us on holiday. Well, that's why this this is called sixteen summers because you've got approximately sixteen of them before yeah. you know they want to go off and do their own thing. Right, we are uh, approaching the end of our chat then, and I'm looking at sort of the the childhood that you had that was with the bad cooking, straight talking mum, and now I'm looking at you as the bad cooking, straight talking mum, <laughs> <laughs> thinking. What are you going to choose? If you had to pick, would you pick the childhood you had or the one that you give into your children, Kay Adams? Oh, God. It's so interesting having to make this decision, having spent a while talking about it. Um, do you know, I can't be disloyal to my mum uh, and my dad. Yeah, I'm going to have to choose... I mean, I hope my children have enjoyed their childhood as much as I enjoyed mine. That would make me very happy if they have. And and is that based on, on what loyalty your parents, you know, what they gave you in terms of physically in the holidays and things or what they taught you? Where's that loyalty coming from, do you think? Well, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's not really about stuff. Um, and the world has moved in the time that I was a child, you know, so my children have had more long haul holidays. They've been in more glamorous hotels. You know, they've probably seen more things. Uh, but ultimately, it's. Oh, I have to say the values that they give you that you give children, the sense of security you have as a child, the sense of you know, unconditional love that you have as a child. Those are the things that really matter. Um, you can have the greatest wealth in the world, but I mean, unless as a child you have that sense of security, 
and that these people would jump out in a front of a bus to save you, um, then you don't have very much. Uh, and I grew up with that. And I would like to think that my children have grown up with that. So ultimately, I don't think our childhoods are really that much different. Would you do anything differently, do you think? Uh, I suppose the one thing... I sometimes say, well, yeah, I would have had them earlier. Um, as much for my parents as, as anything else, because they would have had longer with them. And But then there's absolutely no point in me saying that because I wasn't ready till I, I was ready. Um, you, you know, I would have been forcing that decision. And I mean, I know it's a big conversation at the moment that women need to be aware of the biological clock and, that, you know, the sort of medical advice is to have kids early, but, you know, you're more than a body and a biology. You know, you're also a brain and, and a whole set of emotions. And I just wasn't ready until I was ready. So there's no point in having regrets over that. I'm just grateful that I was able to have them. I am an older mum as well. I had my first at 39 and then thousands of pounds of IVF to get our twins. Um, and now the thing that I have is, and I wonder whether you have this, taking this on the generation again, is trying to make sure I'm fit and healthy enough to hang on to try and see grandkids. I'm going to be that when they hit 20. Like, should you have kids now? I think you should have kids now <laughs> just to get to that. Otherwise, yeah. I'm going to be so ancient. And that is one of the things going into this that I think you don't think about because you're enjoying your no. career, you're doing all of that. And it's only when you get to the other side because who's doing the maths on being a granny? <laughs> I know. Yeah, you're right. And I, I have very much thought about that. Um, nothing I can do to change it, but I certainly will not be disappointed if my girls say to me at the age of 22, they're having a baby. Um, but that would be a very selfish thing in that they have to do it when it is right for them. But secretly, you know, if 22 year old Bonnie or Charlie comes in and says, mom, I'm pregnant. I would go, yoo-hoo! <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh, well, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you and finding oh, you out too, about you. you. I didn't even get on to, like, big chunks of your career, like interviewing Margaret Thatcher oh, and things like that. Ancient history. Didn't really come in. But, um, yeah, w what was relevant is what you've said, and then that's the decision you've taken. So thank you very much the for your time. The cast. <laughs> yes. So what was your you decision? You held to it. Well, mine is because I grew up abroad and I had this brilliant childhood in Singapore and Nigeria and Kuwait and, and I've never given my kids that and I wish they could experience that mm. being at an international school, having mates from Iceland to Malaysia to, uh, and I feel guilty about it. It's not to say potentially we, I might not end up doing that eventually, but I really feel guilty that actually I'm giving them a stable life and I quite like the idea of throwing it up all in the air and going, mm. come on, kids, we're moving to Singapore. Your mum did it. And, you know, that, that's, yeah. that's it's, I don't believe in regrets. I'm the same as you. I don't believe in regrets. But if I could do anything, it would be to take them and live somewhere to experience somewhere else. Yeah. Just time yet. You've been listening to 16 Summers with me, Kirsten O'Brien. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe in the usual way. And we're always happy to hear your comments using the hashtag 16 Summers. 